Oh, hi. Glad you can tune into this podcast. This is Sean, the host. I just wanted to put in a little disclaimer that part of this podcast, some people might find a little tiny bit uh, gross, as it were, given the title of one of the cartridges that this podcast episode will be discussing. I do promise, however, that I am approaching it in the most genteel, sensitive way I possibly can, so as not to be too gross. It should not be family unfriendly, but I just wanted to put that disclaimer there in case anybody is sensitive to, well, poop humor, as it were. Anyway, otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you don't, then, well, I'm sorry. Well, hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. This is your host, Sean. And uh, first off, I need to apologize. It might sound a little bit uh, uh, under the weather. I, I've i been fighting a cold for over a week now, almost two weeks. And it's definitely a heck of a lot better than it was before. But it's there's it's like trying to cling to life. You know what that's like? And sometimes I have these sneezing attacks, but uh, it's really crazy. I hope I don't give it to anybody listening because, as we know, that's how cold viruses spread. They spread over podcasts. But um, anyway, other than that, I guess I've been surviving. What else can I say? There's something that I forgot to mention before in the previous episode is that there's yet another redo of Clark Otto's Fat Axle game, which, of course, is a fast food clone this new version is called Pickles Eats Everything, and I believe there's only one in existence. I do not have it, though. But I found out about it from a post on Atari Age by a user named Thanatos. He says, now that it's after Christmas, I can post about my wife's present. First of all, thanks very much to Franco Dragon, who created this for me. I contacted him this summer, with an, that's summer of 2017, obviously, with an idea I had after seeing his other hacks of fast food. I would like to present a game based on our dog, Pickles, who is a beagle. If you don't know about beagles, they cannot be left unsupervised in the vicinity of any food. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And uh, that is so true. It's so true. Beagles will eat anything and everything. And uh, let's see, there's a screenshot of the title screen. It says Pickles eats everything. And uh, then there is a screenshot of the gameplay. There's a beagle head, a tricolor beagle head, obviously, brown, black, and white, and various pieces of food, I guess, going across the screen. I can't tell exactly what they all are. There are some purple things that kind of resemble, I guess, the purple pickles from the original fast food. I don't know if those are things that you want to avoid, but there also appears to be a drumstick, a burger, maybe a pizza slice, and something that appears to be a pair of chocolate chip cookies. And of course, if this were reality, that would actually be something you don't want pickles eating because chocolate is poison for dogs, mainly because of the caffeine content. I have a friend whose uh, dachshund years ago ate an entire bag of Hershey Kisses. And of course, knowing that chocolate is poison for dogs, she rushed her dog over to uh, the emergency vet. The vet did an examination, basically said, you know what, uh, dog will be fine. He just needs to poop all of it out and it's not going to be pretty. So, 
Oh boy. But yeah, just seriously keep chocolate away from your dog. And, uh, yeah, this, the whole concept of this kind of hits home for me. I mentioned, you probably heard my beagle making a surprise guest appearance with her squeak toy in the previous episode. Uh, she is actually asleep as I record right now, which is usually what she's done. We've had her almost 10 years and her favorite activity is sleep. And if she's not sleeping, she'll want to eat. Well, who am I kidding? She always wants to eat, but, uh, she is up for uh, a walk periodically too. She loves going for walks. Uh, I live not far from Clark street in Chicago. She loves walking down Clark street. So, uh, probably because there are restaurants all up and down there and she likes the smell of them, but, uh, that that's what I think at least, but Hey, that's, um, what's going on. So, Oh, you know what? I realized it's been a while since I recommended a podcast. There are actually two that I started getting into. The first one is actually, it's actually been around for a while and I heard Ferg mention it several times and I finally got around to checking it out. It's called holiday special podcast. And I believe Rick Reynolds is the host of it. And uh, he talks about just that holiday specials and by holiday specials, he means one off shows specifically done for a holiday, not episodes of TV shows where they actually do a Christmas episode, but actually one off things like Emmett Otter's jug band, Christmas, uh, a Charlie Brown, Thanksgiving, things like that. So it's very enjoyable. And what I like about it is, uh, there are a ton of them that I needed to catch up on and they're kind of short. So, uh, I caught up in no time. Uh, it's not a regular podcast. It only happens every now and then, but, uh, it's very enjoyable. If you don't listen to it, check it out. I think you'll really like it a lot. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And there's also another podcast that a few friends were talking about. First of all, my friend Jim over on pie factory podcast, my co-host, and I had to mention that podcast, of course. Something he mentioned a couple of times in the show and a couple other friends of mine were talking about it uh, recently and it's like, okay, I'll finally listen to it. It's called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Um, It is not safe for work. So if you listen at work, use headphones. It's not family friendly unless your family is, uh, well, kind of weird, I guess. But the premise of that podcast is there's a guy named Jamie over in England, whose dad wrote a erotic novel at age 60. And he's kind of, uh, freaked out by it. But, uh, the premise of that podcast is that every episode he reads a chapter and he has a couple of friends with him who comment on the content of the chapter as he reads it. It's a running commentary. It's very amusing, but it's very not safe for work. So watch out for it. Uh, I, I highly enjoy it. It's, it's hilarious listening to them comment on it, especially, uh, Alice Levine. I think her name is, it's great hearing kind of a woman's perspective on what is plausible, what is not plausible. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I do want to keep my podcast as family friendly as possible and as listenable as possible, but, uh, it's a, but my dad wrote a porno. It's, uh, yeah, it's very adults only. So, uh, yeah, be careful with that. I'll still link it in my show notes. I, it, it's just hysterical. It really is. But, uh, anyway, that's, um, my recommendation of late. Uh, I haven't been doing a heck of a lot of gaming lately, except for roof pooper really, which of course I'm talking about in this episode. Um, I have looked at the ET book cart, but it's not really a game. It is a, uh, ebook really uh, i'm probably going to be heading to underground retrocade actually the afternoon that this episode is released in uh, uh, west dundee illinois the 
developers of the game Cosmotrons. It's a vector style game, very similar to Gravatar, but a lot harder from what I can tell. And I can't wait to play the real machine. I saw it at Midwest Gaming Classic last year, but I didn't get a chance to play it. But it looks really, really cool. I can't wait to try it out on an actual machine. And uh, that is the latest with Sean. So I might as well get into today's content. And let's start with E.T. Book Cart 7800. The E.T. Book Cart. E.T., the extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600 that brought down an industry, is looked at through various means and is immortalized even further by a cartridge book focused on the game that helped bring about the video game crash. Read by simply inserting the E.T. Book Cart in your Atari 2600. E.T. Book Cart 7800 was released sometime in late 2014, I'm guessing December, I don't know exactly when, but it was inspired by the original E.T. Book Cart on the Atari 2600. I believe Charles Gray was the developer on that one. The 7800 version was done by Atari Age user Gambler172, and that's how he's listed on the label, by the way. Now, the idea for the book cart was to bring a modern concept, that is, ebooks and ebook reading, to an old technology, such as an old video game console. The ET book cart consists of various articles dealing not with the plot of either the movie or the game ET, but on the behind the scenes goings on with the game, with Howard Scott Warshaw, the developer of the game, and the overall response to the game. And Things that followed, I guess. As you probably are aware, the E.T. game on the Atari 2600, despite selling a ton of copies, um, Howard Scott Warshaw himself pointed out how each of his Atari titles, including E.T., sold over a million copies. The game got a bad reputation that seems to continue to this day. Players complained that the game was hard to figure out. Even those who could figure the game out complained about how easy it was to fall into one of the many deep wells in the game. E.T. was kind of a combination exploration and puzzle game, and many players point out that if you actually read the manual, the game is very playable. And if you know what you're doing, it's not hard to get out of the wells, although most do concede that it's all too easy to fall into a well, especially when you cross into another screen. And you don't know that as soon as you get to the other screen, uh, there's a well right next to you. As for the E.T. game itself, I have to admit I never really owned it until probably maybe 2006. I never got around to getting it when it was out in stores at first. I remember one day, I think it was, it had to have been 1986 or later. I was at the mall with my mom once, uh, I was like 12 or 13. And either KB Toys or Circus World, I think it was KB, they had a sale on Atari 2600 games. They had a lot of copies of E.T., I remember. And I figured, well, you know what? I might as well get it. I didn't know anything about the game. I didn't know that people considered it bad or anything. So I figured, you know what? I liked that movie. I should have this game. It's a very common game. Everybody has it. I should have it. So I grabbed it. And I saw another game for sale. It was called Tax Avoiders. And I thought... This is a weird title for a game. And I looked at the description on the back, and I thought that the gameplay would be just weird enough for me to really dig it. Um, and it turns out I didn't have quite enough money on me for both games. So I had to decide E.T. or Tax Avoiders. 
And I was like, you know what? I got to go with the weird sounding game. I'm going to get tax avoiders. And I did. I still have it. Still have the box and the cartridge. I don't know about the manual, though. I think I misplaced the manual somewhere along the line. But I still have it. I'm glad I did because that's the rarer game by far. (laughs) And sure enough, I did enjoy it highly. And I thought it would be nice to mention, by the way, that the world record for tax avoiders on Twin Galaxies, unless it has been taken over since in the past year or so, the world record holder for the score on that is Phil, the No Swear Gamer. So congratulations, Phil. And uh, that's really my E.T. story. I never got it until about 2006. And um, I never really played it until it was on the Atari Age High Score Club a year or two ago. And um, I did what everybody said you should do. Everybody who's not a naysayer, I read the manual, figured out how to play it. And eh, personally, I just didn't like it. It's it's just not my kind of game. That's all there is to it. I was able to deal with the wells. It didn't really bother me all that much. But it's just, yeah, it's just not my thing. I'd rather play adventure. Because it is kind of like adventure in a, in a way. But of course, because of the rather hostile reaction to the game, E.T. has often been called the worst video game ever and is often unfairly blamed for the North American video game crash of 1983, or as it was called in Japan, Atari Shock. I'll tell you the let's not let facts get in the way of a good story version of the video game crash. According to that version of the story, Atari released two long-awaited, highly-hyped games on the 2600, Pac-Man and E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and they were such disappointments that it ruined Atari's reputation, led them to bankruptcy, lost the war for the Allies, whatever other effect you want to stick on there. And of course, Atari supposedly took the unsold stock of E.T. and Pac-Man cartridges to a landfill in Alamogordo, Texas, pulverized and buried them. Of course, the story is complete bunk. The real story of the video game crash is a lot more complicated than that. But to keep it short, the cause of the video game crash can pretty much be explained twofold. For one thing, there was an oversaturation of home video games on the market. Just talking about consoles alone, you had the Atari 2600 the Intellivision, the ColecoVision, the Odyssey 2, the Bally Astrocade, the Vectrex, and others that I'm probably forgetting about. And many of those consoles, especially the 2600, were experiencing an oversaturation of games available of uh, varying quality. The Atari 2600 was notorious for that. I believe there were, what, 600 games at least released for the 2600 and Quite a lot of them were just cheapo, crappy releases just to get something out of the market, make a quick buck. So the home video game market was being spread pretty thin at the time. Another big reason for the video game crash was that home computers were getting to be more affordable than ever before, and as a result, more popular than ever before. So now there were these affordable devices that could not only play games, often in better quality than the more popular video game consoles, but they could also help balance your checkbook, do your homework, manage recipes, and keep your contacts organized. Not only that, but if you wanted to, you could learn how to program your own games. So people were moving away from the consoles and going toward the more functional and family-friendly personal computers. As for the Alamogordo, Texas landfill rumor, was that true? Well, as we know now from the Atari Game Over documentary that came out a few years ago, the answer is yes and no. Yes, it is true that Atari buried some stuff, including copies of E.T., 
in a landfill in Alamogordo. That stuff was actually excavated, or a lot of it was. But it wasn't just E.T. There was some other Atari stock in there, including some consoles, some uh, controllers, some computers. And what I found interesting when I watched that documentary is that, if I remember correctly, most of the games that were buried there were actually more popular titles, like Galaxian and Centipede. It was simply just a burial place for overstocked items, from what I could tell. It wasn't a place for Atari to drown their sorrows of unsold Pac-Man and E.T. cartridges. But going back to the E.T. book cart for the 7800, again, it consists of articles about the E.T. game. The first chapter is a series of, I guess, inspirational quotes, including from Lady Bird Johnson and P.T. Barnum. Chapter 2 is an interview with Howard Scott Warshaw done by Charles Gray on February 5th, 2004. It talks about Howard's early days at Atari, discussion of Yar's Revenge and the E.T. game, and uh, Howard Scott Warshaw discusses his thoughts about the rumors about the Alamogordo landfill. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, he didn't believe there was one. <laughs> Chapter 3 is called Secrets of E.T. with a foreword by Dwayne Allen Hahn and uh, written by Charles F. Gray. This chapter talks about Easter eggs in the E.T. game and an unreleased game called E.T. Return to Earth. Chapter 4 has a second interview that Charles Gray did with Howard Scott Warshaw, and that took place October 27, 2006. Charles and Howard talk about the wells in the game, Howard's last day at Atari, and Howard's non-gaming interest. And after that, there's Ode to Howard Scott Warshaw by Charles Gray, followed by reviews of the original Atari 2600 E.T. book cart, the E.T. Pantheon, which features some seemingly unrelated mythology and credits. There's also a trivia quiz, which is very doable if you read all the articles on the cart and paid attention. If you get an answer wrong, you are told to hit reset, so you have to start over. Now, I did find a bug in the E.T. book cart when doing the trivia quiz. If you answer correctly, the word right appears on the screen, but it never goes away, which could be a problem on future questions, because either you'll be confused into thinking you already answered the question correctly, or you will see the sorry, wrong answer, reset now note, and then right below that, you'll see the word right. And it's like, huh? But that's the E.T. book cart for the 7800 in a nutshell. At the very beginning, it tells you which direction to move your joystick for which option that you want. Use the fire button to turn the page. And when you turn the page, there's a little sound effect that kind of sort of sounds like a page turning in a way. And uh, that's it. There's nothing much to the book cart. Uh, the original 2600 book cart had game that you play that was based on the Alamogordo landfill. Uh, that game is not included in the 7800 book cart, but some of the features in the 7800 book cart are not present in the 2600 version of the book cart. Walter did tell me that there is an Easter egg or two in the 7800 book cart, but he doesn't really remember how to trigger them. So if anybody knows how to do that, please let me know. Homebrew78 at fab4it.com. My overall opinion on the E.T. book cart, well, I gotta say, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I knew about the book cart, believe it or not, not from Atari Age, but from GoodDealGames.com. Every once in a while I go looking on Good Deal Games, seeing if there's anything available. 
and I saw a few homebrews. I saw um, Shoot the UFO. I saw, um, I, that's also where I got, I think I got Alpha Race from there. And one day when I was looking through, I saw ET book card. It's like, well, I know I'm going to have to get that eventually for the podcast. But um, I think it was when I ordered Shoot the UFO. I placed the order with Good Deal Games. Then Michael Tomlinson emailed me and said, hey, you know what? We're having a special on the ET book card if you buy it with another cartridge. So I figured, well, it's a discount, so I'll get it cheaper. And I'm going to have to get it eventually. So he successfully upsold it to me. And I got to tell you, seriously, all the ET book card is is text. That's all it is. Just articles. I couldn't stop reading. I sat through and went through everything in one sitting. It was so fascinating. I highly enjoyed it. When you get the cartridge, all you get is just the cartridge. There's no manual or anything. All the instructions are right there on the screen. The front label is a painting of E.T., and in his right hand, he's holding an open book. And in his left hand, he's got his uh, index finger extended with the glowy thing at the tip, you know, like in the movie. And he's kind of in a night background. You see the moon behind him and some trees and stuff. And the end label looks like it's just a portion of the drawing on the front label. And it just simply says E.T. Book Cart 7800 in a sans serif font. And um, that there is the E.T. Book Cart. Only from Atari. The video game that lets you help E.T. get home. The video game E.T. for Atari was so bad, the company tried to get rid of all the copies. It's rumored truckloads of that game were buried in an Alamogordo landfill back in 1983. But the video game company claims that never happened. Yes, I admit that one reason I decided to discuss this game in this podcast is that I have the sense of humor of a child. And the phrase roof pooper makes me giggle. <laughs> But you gotta admit, the title does make it sound intriguing. Roof Pooper is a 32-kilobyte game programmed by Clark Otto in 7800 Basic. When Clark did make that initial post about Roof Pooper, he said if there's anyone who doesn't like poop humor, go to this thread before complaining. And the this thread that he linked to was to uh, Bentley Bear's Crystal Quest. And uh, I, I don't know why he had to say that specifically, because I'd say go there whether or not you like poop humor. It's a great game. <laughs> Roof Pooper was loosely based on an online 3D-oriented game called Muddy Heights. The goal of Muddy Heights was to, um, how can I be genteel about this? Let's just say, empty yourself from the roof of a tall building, and you get various amounts of points for hitting certain targets. It's a pretty graphical-oriented game. It's very detailed, I must say, and graphic, I guess uh, you could say as well. There was a sequel, and it was called Muddy Heights 2, and from what I can tell, there's an additional twist in the story. The story is that you have eaten too much, and you must relieve yourself in any way possible, which is a little bit different in that you're doing something to relieve yourself rather than just to be uh, be evil, because in the original Muddy Heights, your character has an evil grin on his face, and he was uh, basically doing his uh, duty, as it were, to uh, just be a jerk. But uh, Roof Pooper takes more of a two-dimensional approach to the Muddy Heights game that inspired it. Clark first posted about it on Atari Age on October 6th, 2016, along with some screenshots and playable ROMs. Your character is on the roof of a building with his back facing you, and you use the joystick to move your character left and right. And uh, yeah, a paddle would make more sense, but uh, 7800 Basic doesn't have paddle support, or at least it didn't have paddle support at the time the game was in development. 
But either way, I found the control mechanism with the joystick to be just fine. It's fine. Clark did say that Bob, and I'm assuming he means DiCrescenzo, helped out with uh, possibly adding paddle support, but he just couldn't get it working. When you press the fire button, your character, um, well, putting it delicately, um, releases um, a piece of uh, solid waste. Release the button before the payload, as it were, hits the ground, and it actually disappears. It's uh, pretty interesting physics. The goal is to hit a passerby with your relief, I guess. Well, that is, unless the passerby happens to be a police officer, because apparently it's illegal to do your business from a roof down onto the street below. Hit a cop with said um, business, and you do not score any points. Instead, a blue star appears on the screen just underneath the rooftop. The game ends when you get three blue stars, that is, when you hit a cop three times. And when the game ends, you get a screen with a depiction of your character behind bars, and a message appears on the screen saying, Close this discussion of Dick I Broke. Well, actually, that's in the earlier version of Roof Pooper. If you download the most recent ROM from the discussion forum, at least as of January 25th, 2018, that's what it says when the game is over. In the cartridge that I just received from Clark, it has a new saying at the end. It simply says, you now poop in jail. Game over. I don't know. I can't, Even though you kind of have to know what it's talking about, I do kind of like the uh, close this discussion of dick message. <laughs> Whatever that's supposed to mean. <laughs> but either way, it's still a fun game. Now, what does that saying even mean? Well, it's kind of a trademark of Clark Otto's games. And that the saying is kind of an inside joke. A lot of his games are based on inside jokes. That weird saying came from a discussion thread on Atari Age, in which someone posting in broken English, and apparently from Italy, posted for sale what was supposed to be a boxed copy of the Atari 2600 Incredible Hulk Parker Brothers prototype that I talked about in the previous episode. But the box was obviously a fake because the box art included a mock-up that was drawn by an Atari Age user. After a lot of back and forth and the original poster claiming ignorance on the fakery, he replied with the close this discussion verbiage that I talked about before. I will put a link to that discussion in the show notes over at homebrew78.fab4it.com. Scorekeeping is quite simple. You get anywhere from 100 to 300 points, as far as I can tell at least, for each pedestrian that you hit. But no points for hitting a cop, because uh, remember, pooping on people is illegal. As your score progresses, you warp to another building, and that essentially is another wave. The first wave ends at 2,000 points the next one at 8,000 points, and I think the next one at 20,000 points, and I've never done well enough to advance to another one. I don't know if that's the last one and it just repeats, or if you need a lot of points. I scored over, I think, 60,000 points, and uh, the white building, I believe, was the last one that I saw. But also, as you progress... The passersby move faster, making it increasingly harder to not drop a, uh, uh, well, a dropping on a police officer. There are also more characters that show up. There are a couple of more human characters. For example, there's like a large person of uh, not definitively determinable gender. And if you hit that person, you get 200 points. And on the bottom row of the sidewalk or street, whatever you want to call that, 
There is what I like to call the little red-haired girl. You get 150 points if you hit her. Eventually, there's a bird that flies across the screen, and you get 50 points for hitting the bird. And um, so that's that's the scoring right there. There's a what Clark describes as a green troll. He actually changes colors throughout the game, too. He looks kind of like E.T., actually, now that I think about it. But you get 300 points for hitting him. Oh, speaking of the troll, in the first run of roof pooper cartridges, there was a bug in which the green troll counted as a cop. You hit the green troll, you'd get a star. Clark posted on April 29th, 2017, that anybody who bought a buggy cart would get a replacement at no cost. And in the cartridge that I recently got from Clark, I found a bug myself. There's kind of a sweet spot, a little bit above street level, where if you stop the dropping in midair, you actually score points for no apparent reason. And the further you are in the game, the easier it is to trigger that bug. And I posted a short video of it on the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast channel on YouTube, and the channel name is Homebrew 7800. I private messaged Clark on Atari Age about that. He said, oops, yeah, let me fix that. And he offered to replace the cartridge for me. I might take him up on that. I don't know. I just, um, I'm actually pretty happy with what I have. Uh, I'll just have to try not to uh, trigger that bug if I'm ever in some kind of competition situation. Now, most of Clark Otto's 7800 basic titles are pretty, well, basic. Not the greatest graphics in the world, not the most elaborate sound either. But uh, I gotta say, I really enjoy Roof Pooper. Quite a lot, actually. I think it could be easily done on the 2600, but nonetheless, it's a highly unusual game. And it really does involve a lot of skill and reflex. You can get the ROM to play in an emulator or on a rewritable cartridge such as the Concerto or Mateos. If you want the cartridge, you have to contact Franco Dragon on Atari Age, which I did just last week, and he was able to sell me one of his cartridges. He might still have some available. I don't know for sure, though. But what do you get when you buy Roof Pooper? You get a cartridge and a manual. There's no box for it. The manual, as usual with Clark's homebrews, is a simple 8.5 by 11 piece of paper in landscape format folded in half, printed out on standard paper stock from a standard printer. However, this time around, the cartridge labels are a bit more on the professional side than what we saw in previous episodes covering Fat Axle and Chicago Basement. Whereas with those games, and spoiler alert, Hollywood Brawler, the labels were very simple office supply store paper labels hand-cut and attached to the cartridge. However, with Roof Pooper, the labels are glossy, and they appear to be properly cut specifically for game cartridges complete with rounded corners. The front and end labels both have light gray backgrounds. The front label has a really nice cartoony depiction of the game with our hero on the roof and the word censored across his butt. And there's a, uh, <laughs> an object, shall we say, in midair below him. At street level are an angry looking cop and two frightened looking citizens. I believe Clark actually drew the artwork himself and he did a really nice job of it. Now, at this point, I don't know if there are any high scores on record for Roof Pooper, but give it a shot. It's such a fun game. It really is. Um, it's not quite as disgusting as you might think because, well, it's it, the graphics are very, very basic. But hey, that's my thoughts on it. Let's see if I can get some other people's thoughts on Roof Pooper. She is a super duper pooper. 
She can party with the best. Gambler172 says about Roof Pooper, and as usual, he's pretty short with what he says. Roof Pooper is a good game, not great, but worth to play. E.T. Book Cart. I made it with some people's help, thanks Trevor, Revang, and Charles. It is not a real game, but has a lot of information for E.T. fans. Greetings, Walter. And Walter, thank you so much for that short as usual and to the point as usual uh, feedback there. And and yeah, I can totally see someone saying Roof, Roof Pooper is a good game, but not great. I mean, it's like, it, it, the graphics are very basic. The sound is not much to it, really. But you know what? It's still a lot of fun. I, I'm glad I spent the money on it. I'll put it to you that way. David Calgary 29 says, Roof Pooper is a lot more fun than you'd think it would be given its unapologetically juvenile premise. It's perfect in 10 to 15 minute segments and gives some of the better action on the 7800. It's also got, pants down, the best title in the 7800 library. Take my money for the Jaguar port. <laughs> Thanks, David. That's uh, great to hear from you. And uh, it really, seriously, the game is a lot of fun. It really, really is. It's a good target practice game in a way. Uh, And you know what? It kind of reminds me of a reversed version of a uh, a 2600 title by uh, Mystique. I'm not going to really name that title right now. But it's kind of a reversed version of that. So if you've ever uh, played that one, yeah, kind of go backwards on that one. And that's what you got with Roof Pooper. And I do like the uh, pants down. That's uh, I've seen plenty of juvenile puns based on this game. Uh, I know because I've used many of them. But uh, pants down was a new one on me. So good on you, David, for using one that I have yet to see. And thanks so much. On this next thing I'm going to talk about, the reason I'm going to talk about this is because I posted on Facebook in the Atari Age group a picture of the roof pooper cartridge that I just got and next to the explosive diarrhea homebrew for the Atari 2600. And I made all kinds of poop puns in that post and everything. And uh, somebody commented, I don't remember who it was, uh... Someone said, I can't wait to hear these reviewed on the podcast. I don't know if he was talking about Pie Factory or this podcast. (laughs) Either way, though, Explosive Diarrhea wouldn't fit in either of these podcasts because it's not an arcade title, so I can't talk about it on Pie Factory unless we do uh, some kind of off-topic episode, which we've done. And it's not a 7800 homebrew. It's a 2600 homebrew. But I figured just to be fair... I should at least talk about it as per requested, but I'm not going to spend a heck of a lot of time on it. Mainly because uh, I know Ferg covers homebrews on the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast. I don't know if he's going to make an exception for this, because I know some podcasters might be a little bit uh, sensitive and not want to talk about something that could be uh, considered gross. But I might as well talk a little bit about it. Uh, it's available from Pack Rat Games, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It was put out in 2014, I believe, and it was under development under a different title, actually. The thing is, there's nothing graphic or gross about the game itself. What you're doing is you're controlling a character who's a redneck, and you have to guide your character across a field to an outhouse because... This person is afflicted with the uh, titular disease, as it were. The thing about guiding your character across the field is there are random landmines planted in the field. Why? I don't know. But hey, and you basically 
guide the person across the field. And if that person hits a landmine, then the next person who comes out, you have to remember where that landmine is and guide that person away from the landmine. And then once you successfully get a redneck into the outhouse, one of the landmines gets moved at random. So there's a little bit of randomness to the game. So you're not just taking the same path every single time. And uh, I believe you have 60 seconds to get as many rednecks as you can there. So that's the game Explosive Diarrhea. And I admit I bought it primarily because of the title. Because, again, I have the sense of humor of a child. So there you go. That's that's all I'm going to talk about for now. I'm not going to talk about the development history. The Pope takes a poop and the president too. And the fancy man's banker in his three-piece suit. The big fat general and all of his troops. And so concludes this discussion of E.T. Bookcart 7800 and, of course, Roof Pooper. And thank you for sticking it out with me. It's been uh, it's been an interesting episode, what with dealing with the remnants of this cold. And uh, there are some people I thank, and uh, specifically I thank Jimmy G and Richard Valdez, Kyle Etter, Gray Defender, Richard Grounds, and Ed Ladin Controllers. Thank you all for supporting this podcast over patreon.com slash homebrew78. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And uh, any support you can give to this podcast is great. Uh, if you can do so monetarily, you could do that over at patreon.com. And in the meantime, you can email me at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And fab4it is spelled F-A-B, the number four, it.com. You can read the show notes at homebrew78.fab4it.com on the web and get uh, previous episodes as well. Twitter handle is homebrew78. And YouTube channel, which I hardly ever use, honestly, is homebrew 7800 and uh, what more can I say? Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about two games again. We're going to do another Clark Auto title. This one is going to be called Hollywood Brawler, also known as Scammer Brawler. We'll also talk about a Bob DiCrescenzo game called Fail Safe. And hey, I'd love to hear what you have to say about these upcoming games and, of course, games that we've talked about in the past. Feel free to send me a text submission or an audio submission, whatever you want. Love to hear from you. So again, thank you everybody for your support and please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support that they deserve. Talk to you again in February. February.